Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hey everyone, looking for lending for your next project? Well, we want to introduce you to Fund That Flip. So what is Fund That Flip? Well, Fund That Flip is fast, affordable funding for your next real estate transaction. And trust me, we know. We've used them and are using them currently for deals that we're working on flipping homes. So if you want white glove service, check out Fund That Flip for great terms, reliable service, just everything you're looking for from a funding partner. Peely, where can we find them? You can find them at fundthatflip.com backslash REI Foundation. Again, that's fundthatflip.com backslash REI Foundation. What are you waiting for? Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we invite the illustrious Jeff Greenberg to our podcast. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, doing great. And a little bit more about Jeff. Jeff Greenberg has over 40 years experience in management, staff supervision, development, and training. And since 2007, Jeff has been investing in multifamily and student housing assets in emerging markets. As the CEO of Synergetic Investment Group, LLC, Jeff oversees all aspects of projects, including underwriting, acquisitions, investor relations, contract negotiations, business sim systems development, business management, staff training, and asset management. Boom. Wow. And Jeff <laughs> also runs two real estate investment clubs in Southern California area and enjoys helping others learn all about real estate investing. Well, welcome, Jeff. And that's quite amazing tackling all those hats. And really the question goes is that you've jumped into this in 2007. Well, how'd you get started in 2007? Well, Actually, in 2007, I was looking at REOs. I was looking at, you know, single family homes. But as you're probably aware, in 2007, wasn't a great time to be doing that. I was just about uh, to ask about that. Yeah, prices were dropping faster than you could, uh, you know, get the properties. The banks didn't know what to do with the properties that they had foreclosed on. And uh, it just was happening way too slow. It just you couldn't do it. I mean, I made an offer on a property. Three months later, the bank said, okay, we'll take that offer. And so I had already lost some just in that three months. And then on this one, I said, okay, I needed about a $15,000 repair allowance. And then another three months went by and they said they would give me 8,000. But by that time, my margin was gone. Uh, the, the value had disappeared. And I say, hey, no, yeah, I, I can't do it. And so I was trying to figure out what else to do. Uh, we looked into short sales and I couldn't get my head around uh, all the marketing involved and uh, working with distressed people on short sales and decided that wasn't the way I was going to go. So I ended up going to a conference and meeting up somebody that was doing training on multifamily properties and that excited me. I, I got excited about the extra zeros. I got excited that I could raise money from other people and get into bigger deals. And so that's kind of the direction I was going with that. Um, back then I didn't know with anything about bigger pockets. I believe it might've started around then, Correct. but um, I hadn't heard of it. I didn't hear of bigger pockets until a lot, a lot later. 
and, and sources like that. I didn't have any other sources. So the seminar circuit ended up being uh, what started me out. Now, you, you talk a little bit about, so you saw the bigger opportunity, the bigger zeros, and lots of times that's what scares people off from even jumping into multifamily properties. Did you have a, a background in, in business or, or background in investing, or what really allowed you to, to jump right into it and say, this is the route I want to go, I see the bigger opportunity? Well, I did, I mean, I was working a corporate job. I, I had, you know, management level uh, responsibilities, so I, I knew how to manage people, but I really didn't. I mean, besides budgets, I, I knew budgets. I worked for uh, government agencies as well, so I wasn't afraid of big numbers. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, the real estate part of it, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. Um, but I had a pretty strong why. Um, at that time, I was in the middle of a divorce, and I had looked at my retirement funds, and I looked at my house disappearing. Um, and I actually went to a group, we were talking about it and strategizing how I would be able to retire and doing it through single family homes just wasn't going to happen. There wasn't enough money, uh, to do that, but looking at, um, bringing in other people's money, using other people's money that I could provide that kind of service excited me and it motivated me to go that direction. So any fear that I had, um, you know, I, I, I moved that out of the way with education, you know, learning from other people, getting excited about what other people are doing. And so I got over that fear. But yeah, there definitely was that fear. So tell us a little bit more about the first steps you took to learn. You taught you, you, you said a little bit about you'd learned from other people. Who did you learn from and how did that well, grow? Yeah, I went to the, uh, you know, uh, you know, guru. I mean, I was, I went through uh, Dave Lindahl's programs um, many years ago and uh, I had mentoring at that time. So I had somebody I could fall back on and it's nice to be able to have someone that you could talk to that has a lot more experience than you. Um, there were times that I would get a question from a broker that I didn't, not only did I not know the answer, but I didn't understand what he wanted. I didn't understand the question and I didn't want to feel like a newbie idiot. Um, so I went to my, my mentor and said, Hey, what does this broker even want? And my, my mentor at the time who owned uh, over 700 units, he said, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answer to this question. <laughs> no. And so it made me feel, Hey, I could go back to this guy and say, Hey, I don't understand what you mean because if my mentor didn't know, then it's okay for me to ask. Yep. I don't have to feel like an idiot um, asking the question. And so just having somebody can bounce ideas about, off of. And that's why, you know, now, you know, what, when there's people that will ask me questions, you know, no obligations, you know, I'm not charging them anything. They'll just on bigger pockets or they'll send me an email and ask a question. You know, I'll try to answer their questions because, just because I remember that that sometimes just having an answer for their question and just doing a quick email or a quick call on the phone or something can really help somebody out. So I, re I remember those times. That's but, yeah, I, w I went through that. I went through that. And, and now I provide, you know, the real estate club where, where people do have those other options than, than having to go through a lot of those programs.
No, that's, that's a huge gift back for anybody just to be that person that a newbie or even like a seasoned investor then can go to and be like, you know, I got this question. How do I answer it? And you might not know the answer, but chances are you do. And it's nice to have somebody like you or have somebody that you had to kind of fall back on. That's what mentorships is all about. Can you walk us through what your first deal looked like? The first deal was, was a probably a small uh, deal that was too small to syndicate, but it was actually five fourplexes. So it was, we treated it as a 20 unit apartment, but it was actually five fourplexes. They were built in 2007. We bought it in 2010. Wow. Um, so it was a new property. Uh, it was 100% occupied. It was in a small market. So it was a nice property, but there really wasn't enough meat on it to be able to give investors a, a decent return and for us to make any money. Um, and it was also in a, a small, slow growth market, which we got an education from that property. The investors did okay. We didn't make any money. We got a little acquisition fee in the beginning, got no cash flow throughout a six year hold. And we got a little tiny bit of money um, when we sold it, I could have worked at McDonald's and made a lot more money. But the thing is, is, is uh, my partner and I got a, a great education off of that property. Yeah, but you it couldn't trade that for the world, right? What's that? You couldn't trade that for the world, right? No, so. no, I couldn't. You know, the amount of money, what I got from the education, you know, I, you know, I couldn't pay for. It was a great education. Uh, we also got a lot of investors that appreciated us you know, knowing that we weren't making any money, but we took, still took care of them. You know, for a six-year period, we took care of them. And some of them are, are still with us on our, on our deals. So a few follow-up questions. You're saying a small market wasn't, wasn't a really growth market. Now, you're in California. Was this out of state? And if it was, how would you choose on the market? And second, how would you find the deal? Well, yes, it was out, it was out of California. Um, the market, it was, it was a new market called Harlingen. Uh, it's in South Texas. It's near McAllen. You may yep. know McAllen. You may know Brownsville, which is on the other side of it. Yep. Brownsville is where the launch site for uh, SpaceX is going to be. That's where they're building SpaceX down there, about probably about 35, 40 miles from where the property is. The reason I like, I really like McAllen. Uh, McAllen's a border town um, of Texas and Mexico. And it's a great town. I just wasn't able to get into it. And we and my broker brought this property to me in this other, uh, in Harlingen, which is 35 miles from McAllen. And I thought, okay, this may give us an opportunity in the door to be able to get some properties in McAllen. So that's kind of why we went into Harlingen, even knowing that it was slow growth. At that time, um, uh, are you familiar with the uh, Bass Pro Shops? Yes. yes. Okay. Bass Pro Shop was just being built in Harlingen. They were just breaking ground there. And we thought that, okay, Bass Pro Shop is going to bring in businesses, uh, bring in a lot of industry, and things would really pick up in that area. Um, that just really didn't happen. There was, the Bass Pro Shop is there. It's a great, you know, great uh, uh, company. And there's some restaurants that popped up. But it just really didn't draw what we had hoped for and, and build up more demand. So the only value add we had 
was raising rents. Raising rents and we try to rubs, uh, you know, build back, which wasn't real successful. It was uh, resisted quite a bit. You know, you can't get much better than 100% occupancy, so we couldn't build the occupancy up. The main thing was, was increasing rents, and we weren't able to do that very fast. Can you explain what rubs are for any listeners out there that are newbies and they don't know what that is? Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, I, the R-U-B-B-S is what rubs is, and I've heard it interpreted all different ways, but uh, they call it a residential utility buildback system. Um, I've also heard the ratio utility buildback system. So whatever you call it, it still means the same thing. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you're billing back the utilities to the tenants, um, mainly because uh, in a lot of cases you have uh, master meters, and so everybody's water is going through the same meter. So you, um, you you can't really charge it directly to them, but you can bill them back. In this case, everybody was paying their own electricity but we were still paying for water. And so we were essentially just billing back for water. We weren't paying electricity. Thank goodness. And in Texas with air conditioning, you really don't want to pay somebody else's electricity. No. Um, So that's what it was. We were billing it back, uh, but we were met with a lot of resistance. So we had trouble doing that. And so that didn't go very far. So if you fast forward to today and you now look at your processes in determining market and maybe if it was rubs again, how would you, how, how are you assessing things differently today? As far as on the rubs or on different. Uh, uh, so determining a market, you said that of course the market that you oh, chose for your first property was not, not ideal based on maybe a Bass Pro Shop, not really hitting the, hitting the track that you thought it would. What indicators do you look for today now when sourcing a market? Or, or are you looking at a deal first and then a market? Well, a lot of times we start looking at the market when a deal comes by. I mean, there's a lot of markets we are looking at and specifically looking in those markets. But we are fairly opportunistic and look at uh, the markets when deals come. Um, there's, there's markets we're specifically focusing on, which are mostly uh, in the southeast. Uh, in the Carolinas, we've got a property in Georgia, we're, we're looking at some in Florida. So we are looking in some of those markets. Uh, we haven't focused in specifically on um, or drilled down into neighborhoods and that kind of stuff, but we're looking at a lot of the properties that, that were being brought. Uh, we are looking at some tools that might help us uh, focus in uh, more um, drill down farther into some of the different markets and help us with that. And, and then maybe go do some direct marketing and uh, directly, uh, you know, talk to owners, but that isn't something we're currently doing at this point. Got it. And and so just from my perspective, it's something I have difficulty with is we, we focus on the market first. So when we get deals that are not within our core market, that seem like great opportunities, it almost takes us, so long to get accustomed to where we are in the market. What, what, what has worked for you if you're finding deals first and then trying to figure out the market to really give you a, a quick chance to get up to speed in the market pretty rapidly? Well, one of the first things we do is we talk to uh, some of the property management companies that we have, um, relationships with that are regional. Uh, we've been working with at least two or three property management companies in the South, in that Southeast area. 
And typically what we'll do is because we have confidence in them, we will ask them what they think about the market and are they interested in, in managing that property for us if, um, if, we, if we get it. And they'll go in and, and check it out for us and they'll take a tour for us. And if they say, yeah, this is a good property, we like the market, then we'll start continuing with the research. And we'll research you know, the typical stuff, job growth, crime, um, the schools, um, you know, diversity in, in, in uh, jobs, um, you know, demographics. Uh, we'll, we'll start doing the, a lot of research. And, and it is a lot of work you know, because we're doing that to each different market. Yeah. But we have the confidence of the property managers experience, or the property management companies experience in that market. And we trust property managers a lot more than we trust brokers and agents for obvious reasons. Yeah, that's an absolutely <laughs> awesome point too because you speak about the property managers, you made two key points. One, leveraging them to your advantage, just growing those relationships because they are the boots on the ground. And two, just because you find a property doesn't mean the property manager actually wants to manage that property. They want to make sure that it's the right fit for their portfolio so they can meet the metrics that you're looking for. So just absolutely great points. Yeah, they, well, they have, they have the motivation. So if they go and look at a property and it's a piece of crap property and they're not truthful with me, you know, they say, oh, it is a great property, you know. I mean, the, their motivation is they want to be hired. So if they tell me it's, you know, it's a real good property, we think this is real, you know, we'd like you to get this and we'd like to work for you on this. And then, um, you know, we get it and we put, you know, we give it to them to, to manage, you know, what are they going to do? Come back and, oh, well, uh, we didn't know this or we didn't know that, or we've got a problem here or a problem there, you know? So they're, they have a much better motive for being honest. You know, they could go and say, oh yeah, it's a great property, but there's deferred maintenance. You know, we need to do this. Maybe we need to, you know, swap out the, the clientele, you know, but they have a much greater motivation for, for being honest uh, and thorough than obviously than an agent would. An agent gets to sell you the property and make their profit and boom, they're gone. They may never see you again. And so Jeff and I actually had the privilege to speak with Jeff when I was in uh, Denver a couple months back. And your business is really awesome in, in the way you've grown it. Would you talk a little bit about how you're building your team out and, and how your team operates to go out there and source deals and put deals together? Well, it's interesting. Um, the, the team, I'm afraid, wasn't planned. <laughs> I'd, love to say that I'd, I'd love to say this was my plan. Um, but it wasn't. It was actually a group of people that had heard of me and uh, asked me to mentor them. And at the time, I didn't have a structured program. So I really um, didn't want to take money. And so basically, I started having meetings where I would get 20, 25 people in the room and we would just start talking about how to find multifamily properties, how to value them, you know, going through all the steps on acquiring multifamily properties. And eventually it whittled down. There were some people that stuck around. Some people thought it was going to be too much work, whatever. Um, and I ended up with about nine or 10 people that wanted to keep on going. And I told them in the beginning, I said, I don't know where this might take us. You know, but let's just keep going. You know, you guys go and find a property and let's, and we'll close on it. We'll do it. And so last year we found uh, two different properties 
and we closed on those. This was the first property that uh, these people had ever closed on. I took, uh, I believe I had three people go down uh, with me um, and, and tour the properties. So I believe, let's see, on the, the Georgia one, which was the one we closed on a year ago, April, I had uh, two ladies came down with me walking um, a student housing property uh, that was just, just interior was a disaster. And um, you, the, the women were in shock because they'd never quite seen kids live as sloppily as they did. And we were all kind of surprised that we weren't buzzing when we came out from all the smell <laughs> of weed and, okay. and, and everything else. Um, so it was, it was very eye-opening for them. Um, this was the first time they ever did a lease audit where they, they were sitting in the office going through every single lease and verifying you know, all the leases coming in. We had the opportunity to talk to the mayor of the city. We sat down with um, a couple of the vice, the vice uh, presidents from the university. We talked to coaches. We talked to building and safety, zoning, uh, all these different people within the city. Oh, I forgot the, the, the chief of police and the uh, chief of the fire department. So this was a phenomenal education for the two ladies as well as a fact-finding mission, you know, going through and, um, you know, making sure this was a property we wanted, we wanted to get involved with. But so, so they, so the team had helped, you know, gotten involved with the acquisition, gotten involved with the, um, the uh, market research. Um, in fact, it was one of my team members that made all these appointments with all these dignitaries for us to do when we got down there. Um, the team had done all of this, and uh, we did it all together. It was a learning process, you know, for everyone involved. And it's just kind of involved, evolved from there. Um, since then, I've brought on a, a team lead that does more of the overseeing of, of a lot of the stuff. And a lot of that stuff that you read in the bio, um, I just kind of oversee it. Um, I, don't, I don't do a lot of that anymore. I kind of oversee my team that's doing it. Um, most of the time I'm spending on, on, uh, fundraising, but you know, that's, that's kind of how it evolved. And so it's kind of become a company where people, all of my team get shares of, uh, any properties we close, but no salaries, no, no pay otherwise other than that. That's great. I know so many directions kind of you can go. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm curious because we touched on a point, so I'm going to go back to it. You, you, you met with the mayor and a couple other city officials. What, what was, just if you're going into a new area and trying to improve the area, what, what was the purpose of this meeting with the mayor? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you looking for here? and why, why put your time there? Well, the one thing is, is we're going into a city, and, and this was a small city. You don't get to meet the mayor all that often or the chief of police and all that stuff. You know, I mean, in a, in a larger city. I mean, in Houston, you can be sure we didn't get to, meet all those kind of, you know, officials, but this is a small city. Um, when we went to the mayor, we wanted to see what her vision was. Um, this property was in foreclosure, or actually it was foreclosed on. We bought it actually from the note holder. Um, and the property had a horrible reputation. Um, as, as we said, we walked through there, there was people smoking all over the place. The, almost every single smoke detector was, was pulled down because they were setting off alarms, you know, from all the smoke in the place. There was, it's, this is student housing. There was people that were non-students that were there. Um, this property was horrible. 
And we wanted to talk to the city. We wanted to see what kind of support the city was going to be for us, um, you know, with, with our plans to fix things up. We wanted to go to the chief of police to find out what kind of call outs he's had, you know, what he knows about the city, what, what his patrols were. The chief of police, we want to know what kind of calls he was getting. You know, if there's things involved with drugs, you know, a lot of times it's the fire department that's coming out. So we wanted to get their opinion of the property and what they felt needed to be done. Um, the school, we want to know uh, if they would refer people to us, you know, if, if uh, their dorms got, you know, filled up, if we would be the ones that they would send um, people to. And um, so that was kind of that. We also talked to the coaches because we wanted to talk to the coaches that if we take their athletes in, will, uh, will they be supportive of us? And if we have problems with those kids, uh, if they would, you know, sit on the kids and get straighten them out, you know, and help us do what we've all wanted to do, which is to provide a safe, clean place for their kids, their athletes. And as we want to see what the coaches attitudes were to see if we had a supportive atmosphere or if there was going to be animosity or, or what. And it ended up being phenomenal once we got going. But initially, we had, in fact, there was a track coach we talked to, said to us, why would I send my kids over there? You know, like, you know, we had a horrible reputation. And this was things, you know, that we needed to know. And then when we fixed it up, we asked, we invited the coaches, we invited the police chief with a fire chief. They all came to our open house. The, the mayor came to our open house. Um, she was wearing our t-shirt. We had, you know, promotional t-shirts that she put on and she was wearing um, because they came over and saw what we had done. The first thing we did, of course, was change the name, but um, we changed the name, we changed the reputation. And they came over and saw what we had done, and they loved it. They loved it. And right now, my uh, let's see, last week, my property manager called me up and told me that the school wanted to master lease one of our buildings. <laughs> the only problem is, is we're, we're full. We can't, you know, I mean, we don't have any room for them. But they want to lease the whole building because they don't have enough room in their dorms. That's great. Wow. I mean, that's what's, that's what's changed. And in fact, the mayor send, uh, sent her, um, her grandson over to rent from us, <laughs> but we had to turn him down because he wasn't a student. Because oh, we're only taking students, and we had to turn the mayor's, the mayor's grandkid down yeah. because we didn't have any room. So, you know, all that's happened in this last year has been phenomenal. Um, but, you know, I mean, and, and, and I've got more great feelings out of this, this deal than I ever had in any other part of real estate. Yeah. But this was 48% occupied, went down to 30. And now we're, uh, we're over, we've got a waiting list for August. Wow. Uh, wow. We're full with waiting list for August. And um, this has all been because we reached out to the community. Um, I have to tell you about a sports sponsorship that we did. And I have to thank our, the, the one we had uh, that was doing our marketing. She was on our team. Um, for $3,000, we get, we're going to get two, uh, 60 second advertisements on their jumbotron for every home basketball and every home football game. Plus we get our banner 
um, on every other, you know, the other games. They have a big banner they made for us. For $3,000, we're getting these 60-second clips on their Jumbotron. And those are 60-second those are, uh, clips that my, um, my team and I made. I went down there. I interviewed kids. We got testimonials. We took pictures. And I'll have to send you a link uh, to the clips. Absolutely. But it's, it's interviews of our kids talking about the changes uh, in the property and why they're happy to be there. And that's why we're, we're going to be over full in, in August. We'll have a waiting list in August. So what? if you are a syndicator out there and you have just listened to, to Jeff, is it absolutely pristine and clear why Jeff is giving his investors that come into a deal the best opportunity to just succeed because they're doing the groundwork? It's one thing just to find a deal, right? But it's the next thing to really just do the groundwork and get in there and, and find out what the community is about. Find out how the property is being perceived. Find out how you're going to be a better impact on the, on the area. And if you're thinking, uh, even on the passive side, and you're looking for operators, well, think about the operators you're looking at. Are they, are they performing these tasks on the property they're going into? Or are they just throwing something at the wall and hoping it happens? So really awesome, Jeff. That was great stuff. What a great feel-good story. What a great like, uh, market. Well, let me, let me add one little piece to it because sure. I'll tell you, this one brings tears to my eyes every time I talk about it. And it brought tears to my eyes when I was going through it. Um, I went down there and actually did the videotaping of the interviews, um, mainly because the interviews that we were getting from the management company were less than desirable. And I have a little bit of a history in, in some videotaping. So I went down there and videotaped these kids. And there was one, uh, one girl that you know, we were asking, you know, if you had anything to say to the management company, you know, what would you have to say? And, and it was just, she said, thank you. Thank you so much because now she's not embarrassed to show her mother where she lives. And that, it brought tears to my eyes. And I got up and I asked her if I could give her a hug because it was just, um, it was so moving that this, I mean, it's a, it's a low economic area. And these kids, we gave the kids an opportunity to have a clean, safe environment that they're not afraid, you know, to be there and they're happy to be there. And that was one of the most rewarding things I've, I've you know, felt, uh, you know, doing real estate. It was very rewarding. That's one of the reasons I do like student housing, um, getting something back like that from, from the kids. But you'll see when I, when I uh, get you a link to the testimonials. Uh, That's that great. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun talking to these kids. What an amazing story. Just a way to give back to the community and just, wow. Uh, my mind is blown right now. That's so amazing. With the awesome success you've had with student housing, is that where your focus is today? Or, or how is your business looking right now? Well, we're still looking for multifamily. The, the thing is, is we're, the, the thing that with student housing is student housing is easiest, easier to mess up than multifamily. And we're finding people that have messed up the multifamily or the student housing. So we were, we are looking for value adds. We're looking for distressed assets. And it seems right now we've been finding some student housing. Uh, we will, we're still looking at the multifamily market. It's just a very tough market right now. And so that means we have to work that much harder to find those little diamonds in the rough. And this particular property in Georgia, um, it's a, it was definitely a diamond in the rough, um, you know, at a foreclosure 
uh, at 48% occupied. We bought it for all cash. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, at 48% occupied, it was going to be tough uh, getting the, um, the financing on it. So, uh, but now it's, it's probably tripled in value, or excuse me, not tripled. It's, I figured it's over uh, quadrupled in the value that we paid for it uh, right now. That's amazing. So, so we're making money on it, but we're making a difference. So that's, that's phenomenal. So you'd mentioned earlier that you had built your team out in such a way that you are basically overseeing that part and mostly fundraising. Can you give us like a high level view of what your, your day or your week looks like? as you're fundraising, as you're looking for money? Well, I mean, I always, I'm always talking to people. I'm always going to a lot of meetings. Uh, I'm doing a lot of you know, interviews such as this, you know, just to kind of get the word out there and get people to meet me that haven't, haven't met me yet. You know, going to Joe's event in, in, uh, in, uh, in Colorado and uh, doing a lot of other stuff. Um, so that's a lot of my fundraising, but um, we, my team uh, spends most of their time on Slack uh, online. And with Slack, I'm able to look in on the conversations going on, on the, the inter-office uh, conversations going throughout. And if I need to put some input in um, or, you know, focus somebody in on something, I'll do that. But as I said, I do have a team lead that he does most of that. Every once in a while, someone will ask a question of me, so they'll ping me, and you know I'll go in and respond to that. But typically, they're doing everything until um, until it needs a final review. Basically, if the if the underwriters and my and my deal lead feel that this is a deal, they'll pass it on to the uh, the team lead who will review it. If he says, "Yeah, I think this is a, a deal." Let's go with an offer and he'll, you know, discuss with the deal lead as far as what offer we should make. And then they send it to me for final, final approval. So in the last two years, we've probably gone through over 600 deals. That doesn't include the ones we've thrown out. Those are 600 deals that we've actually evaluated. And out of those 600, um, I've probably looked at, I don't know, 30 of them. We've probably made offers on 25 of those, and we we won we won two last year. Uh, we've probably got about six or seven LOIs out right now. We're investing final in a couple, um, so hopefully we'll be getting a, a few more this year. Um, so that's kind of what I am. I I when it's ready for the uh, letter of intent, the offer, uh, then. I will do a review of, of all the stuff that's been going on. If I have further, further, if I can speak, if I have further questions, um, I'll send it back to my deal lead. Um, she'll go out back to the broker if she needs to get answers. Um, you know, I may pick up points that somebody else missed and we'll go from there. If I think it's a deal, we'll do an LOI and we'll submit it. Uh, and then the, the, the team lead and I will usually, um, you know, we'll jump in and start uh, working with the, the seller or the selling broker and, um, you know, push it through. But we work along also with the, the deal lead that uh, initially had the relationship with the broker. 
So I, I want to talk a little bit. We, we have a, a local meetup that was focused on multifamily. And uh, a, the big topic, of course, is always, you know, finding leads. And uh, just looking at, you went over 600 properties last year. And that's not including the ones you actually threw out. But we, we did a survey of the room last night, actually. You know, how many people are looking for leads? Of course, the entire room raised their hand. How many people are having difficulty finding leads? The whole room raised their hand. Well, how many people had reached out to brokers or property managers or your immediate network in the, in the last week? And for that, we had Five. A, yeah, a tenth of the room. Yeah. So on that point, you got to put the work in. That, that's really it. Oh, absolutely. Put the work in. There's no other way around it. And 600 deals that you went over that actually were viable candidates down to 30, 25 offers. Well, that's what it takes to get two properties. So if you do those ratios and you're a one-man band, sure, it's a little more daunting, but you can build that team out. You just, you just got to really buckle down and do the work. Absolutely. And the thing is, is you know, I, in, my, in my travels talking to a lot of people, there's a lot of people that want to do it. You know, they want to go out and do it on their own um, without, you know, without help. And um, a lot of times I'll talk to them. I said, you know, I mean, they, they're debating. They would rather do it themselves. And they may not be syndicators. They may just want to buy a property, a multi-property themselves, you know, a 20, 30, 40 unit property. And, but they, but a lot of these are high net worth individuals with jobs or doctors, they're dentists, they're, you know, people that still have a job and still enjoy doing their job. So they don't want to quit their job. They just want to have additional income. And I tell them about the numbers that we have to go through to find the deal. And I typically will tell them, I said, I will bet you that you're going to settle for less of a deal than I can give you. Even, even with us taking our cut, you know, what, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to bring to the table. We can bring you a better deal. And all you have to do is nothing, you know, vet us in the beginning, you know, vet us in the beginning. That's your job. Make sure that you're happy with us or whoever it is you're going to. But I would bet you that a, a syndicator that is working their tail off to finding properties is going to give you a better return than you're going to find on your own. Um, because we go through 600 deals. How many deals are you going to go through before you say, okay, I'm going to settle for this? Yeah. You know, and or pay too much. We get beat out left and right by people that will pay too much on deals, and we won't. We refuse to. We, um, you know, we if it, the deal doesn't work, it doesn't work. We're 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 not going to change our criteria um, to get a deal done. And the advantage that we have is we don't have to do a deal. I don't have to do a deal. I don't have to do a deal to pay my bills. And my team doesn't have to do a deal to pay their bills. Well, they're not getting any salary right now. This is all commission. So they would like to do deals. We all want to do deals, but there was nothing forcing us. I don't have money burning, burning in a pocket um, that says we have to do deals. So we will continue to look for deals and to find the best deals. And if we find good deals, we'll offer them to our investors. If we don't find the good deals, then we don't. You know, I, I don't like telling my investors, well, we have nothing to offer right now. But I would rather do that than to get into a bad deal. Great information right there. Stay steadfast with your numbers and stick to your numbers. Don't overbuy. Right now we're seeing a lot of people pay too much and we just keep saying, well, that's great. We'll be hanging out two, three years from now when you have to do something exactly. with the property. <laughs> so so yeah. or sometimes 
sometimes somebody will beat us out and then you know six months a year later that property comes back to us yeah. or or even less than that they'll say oh well they couldn't close on it um we were we were interviewed on monday and you know i'm sure we were a lot lower than most of the other offers but the big thing was is they were their big question was how confident are you that you can close you know and they were asking about our equity coming in you know our, our money partners and you know have we worked with them before and the lenders have we worked with them before um their biggest concern was can we close um so a lot of times they're willing to accept a lower offer uh with a better insurance if they're more if they're more confident that you will close and that that's also in a lot of cases right now especially if you're in the bigger markets uh that they're they're um, asking for earnest money to be hard on day one. If you're trying to buy something in Dallas, if you don't come in with $100,000 hard, you know, on day one that you're not getting back, uh, they don't feel that you're confident that you're going to be able to close. Yeah. And So even uh, bigger that you just need to know your numbers from the get-go if you're going to go into a deal like that. Absolutely. absolutely. And so if there's a new investor listening to this right now, What's something that they can take to start their real estate journey down the path of investing in multifamily property? Well, if they have not bought anything before, I say find somebody to partner up with that has some experience. Um, so let's let's just go back to to my people that are on my team. Look at the bragging rights that they have. They've just closed. They've closed two multi multi million dollar properties um, you know they were part of my team they had certain responsibilities even though they were being guided all the way through uh, by me and uh, my my team lead that's credibility though that's bragging rights um, and I I tell people you know go do that find somebody you know whatever it is if it's multifamily if it's you know fix and flips wholesaling whatever go and find somebody that's doing it Find a way to be of service to them. Find a way of how to be helpful with them, how to partner with them. You may want to come in as an equity partner. I mean, I did that years back where I came in as an equity partner and I was able to tell people I was involved in this $20 million deal, but I was just an equity partner. That's but great. that was, there was the banks, the bank was impressed. They were impressed that I was in a $20 million deal, even though I was a passive investor. So even as a passive investor, you get, credibility um, so but getting next to somebody that's doing it is the way to get that credibility it's always you know what comes first the chicken or the egg you know okay I, I want to get a deal well I can't get a deal until I can get some money well I can't get the money because investors don't trust me until I get some credibility well I can't get the credibility until I get a deal done so you know you got to figure out what you can do and if you could team up with somebody that has experience and get a deal done alongside of them, you know, you legitimately can say that you were on the management team or you were, you know, you worked with somebody that did this deal and this is, you know, what, how uh, we met with success and what happened. And that starts your own credibility and you build from there. I mean, we didn't really have that when we did that, but at the time we were in that $20 million deal. My, my business partner and I were both invested in a, in a, uh, as, as uh, passive investors and the small bank that we were getting the loan from was impressed with that. They were impressed with the education that we had when we told them, you know, what 
we had learned and you know how we evaluated the deals and they were very impressed with us and that's why we got the loan on that that deal they they liked us so what a huge value add thank yeah. you for that basically partner up with someone give them value and get credibility that's that's a huge value add for all of our listeners out there that are listening to this rewind or do whatever you need to do to your little machine there and re-listen to everything that Jeff just said, because that was golden. Thank you for that. What's the five-year plan now for the business? You know, we're, we're, we're trying to uh, continue to grow. Um, I have a large group of people that uh, would like to uh, continue to grow in this business. And um, I don't know that I have a specific goal. We just want to keep increase. This year, we'd like to double what we did last year. Uh, we may or may not do it. Um, we're looking at bigger deals now, uh, mainly because we, we have that kind of backing. And we, we um, you know, that, that's the main thing. We want to stay away from some of the smaller deals. It's just as much work to close on a small deal as it is to close on a big deal. Yeah. And, um, so we're, we're, we're trying to push our limits. You know, it, it's a difficult time in the market. So we want, the main thing is we want to be safe. Uh, we want to do things to protect our, our investors. And so, you know, we don't want to overextend things. So we'll, we'll do things to save, be safe. Um, the Georgia deal we bought for all cash for safety reasons, as well as it would have been very expensive um, to get a loan on that property. Uh, we only paid them, we paid a million one for it. Um, so we just raised all it all cash. And now I'm figuring that property is worth about 4 million five, somewhere around there. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, is buying it for all cash um, <laughs> saved us in case there was problems. We didn't have to worry about a debt service. And so that's my concern right now is doing things safely, making sure you have sufficient money to go beyond just closing on the deal, but to keep it going in case you have problems, um, to have enough for your CapEx, to make sure whatever debt you get on it, it's long-term enough um, that if in five years uh, the market is not favorable, you have a loan that you can keep going on. Uh, we're, all the stuff we're gonna be getting is like 10-year debt, 10, 12-year debt, uh, just to make sure. But the big, the big keys, the big takeaways are our um, long-term debt, sufficient funds to, to hold you over in the, in the long term, uh, making sure you know your market. So it's a market that's uh, going to continue to grow even in a downturn. Um, I guess those, those, are the, those are the main ones, making sure you're going to have sufficient cash flow. But uh, yeah, those are, those are probably the big ones. But, you know, we're going we're to have a downturn. Yes. I don't know when. I don't know how bad it's going to be. Hopefully not as bad as the last one. I'm sure it's not going to be as bad as the last one. Mm-hmm. But it could be two years. It could be five years. Who knows? But we need to be aware of it and not overpay. Uh, it doesn't seem like anybody we ever have on the podcast know when this downturn is going to come. Yep, we're waiting for someone to it's tell important. us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Well, so. You know, we, we were talking a little bit about this previously. You're a cyclist. We're very into knowing like what you do for your morning routine. Is cycling part of that morning routine? Typically. Um, typic- I'm a morning person, so if I could get up at 6.30 in the morning and uh, put a couple hours in before 
before I start work. Uh, that's that's typically it. Um, other than that, the morning routine is just getting on, checking the email, checking Slack, seeing if there's anything going on that my team needs any help on. Um, that's typically it. I mean, I should be doing some other exercise and stuff, but I don't. Um, it also may be spending time with my grandkids. Uh, so that's I exercise. Exactly. Yeah, that's exercise right there. There so. you go. And, and I do help out with sometimes the the transporting of kids to school and back. So <laughs> that's that's the advantage of uh, getting rid of the uh, W-2 job and, and working out of the house. Um, it gives you the opportunity to uh, do things. My, my commute's about 25 feet. And uh, <laughs> so the only time I have traffic is when my dog gets in the way. There you go. Um, <laughs> So it's, it's this, that's what real estate has done. That's given me those opportunities. That's really funny that Jeff says he, he needs to exercise a little bit more. His like, his slow day begins with a 25 mile. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bike. Bike ride. <laughs> I, I hear that. I'm like, hmm. yeah. I don't think, I think the last time I rode a bike was we did about five miles yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. no, that's. I was just, a, that was a short ride this morning. <laughs> so do you have words that you live by or, or a company motto? The, I mean, I don't know about a company motto, but words that I live by is, is give, 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 and continue to give to other people, uh, pay it forward. Um, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's, people talk about everything as sales and I hate sales. Um, so my motto is more, you know, continue to give, 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 and all of a sudden things start arriving, you know, and, um, you know, one of the things that I've been doing with my team is working on them as far as raising funds, as far as talking to people, you know, getting investors. And that's, that's a very hard thing for new people to do. It was horrible. It was a horrible thing. The first deal that we went to, that first deal that we spoke of, um, my, my business partner at that time and I had never raised a penny in our lives. And it was, it was extremely difficult for that deal. But now I just go out and enjoy talking to people and telling them what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, they ask about my deals, they ask about what we've done and you know, whatever. And usually I, you know, I just continue talking and then all of a sudden they'll go and say, well, let me know when the next deal comes up. And then that opens the door. Are they saying, how can I get involved? And all of a sudden the door is open and I say, let's set up an appointment because I, I put each, everybody through a small interview, mainly because I want to know what their criteria is, what their risk tolerance is, what their expectations are. I want to make sure that we're aligned with what they want. And we do that on a one-on-one -on -one interview. So I've had a one-on-one -on -one interview with every single one of my investors. And, but I don't go and say, hey, do you want to invest? I never do that. I go and I say, oh, you know, I'll talk about what we do. This is what we do. This is what, you know, we've been doing for a while. And the next thing I know, someone says, well, how, you know, how about letting me, let me know about the next time, you know, the next deal that comes up. That's a, okay, let's talk. Yeah. Great advice right there. I mean, you get, you get to the point where you do, when you're, and we tell this to people all the time. When you're networking, just tell people what you're doing. They'll open the door for themselves. Exactly. You you're right. If they're, and the thing is, is if I'm talking to people and, and they don't, they don't, they're not interested, they don't say anything about getting involved or something like that, 
gives but a good conversation. We'll move on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I usually start a conversation. Oh, hey, what do you do? You know, you know, what are you what are you doing these days? Or you know, um, and they'll tell me about what they're doing. Or they'll tell me about their job or whatever. And then typically they'll respond back. Okay, what do you do? And then I'll give them this feel, you know, that, you know, I syndicate deals. I bring in groups of investors to buy, you know, uh, multifamily student housing properties. Um, and they'll go and say, oh, you buy in California or is this a good time? They may, they may be somebody uh, that wants to buy single family homes and they start asking me about, is this a good time to buy? You know, should I buy in California? You know, uh, whatever the conversation goes around. Um, you know, and it may come back to where, hey, I've got some funds that I may be interested in investing, you know, and I, I may talk about, you know, I teach people how to invest in multifamily properties or how to invest their IRAs or, you know, something like that, 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 you know, may lead to, you know, further questions. But I just, you know, a lot of times it may be leading questions that might interest them. And if they're interested, they are. If they're not, okay. That's great. I'm, I'm not pushy. I don't do sales. Yeah. It's just I'd be friendly, and we never know where the conversation may go. Well, Jeff, this this interview was a ton of wealth, a ton so of value. Thank you so much. If others are trying to reach out to you, find a little bit more about you, what's the way, best way to connect? The best way to connect is you. They can they can uh, get me on Bigger Pockets, or uh, they can get a hold of me, uh, Jeff at synergeticig.com, and that's S Y N E R G E T. ICIG.com. Awesome. And then they could also go to my website with that same domain name. That's perfect. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for all of your value add to our show. We are very happy to have had you on, Jeff. Well, I thank you very much. I enjoyed this. This was a great conversation. Definitely was. <laughs> well, fantastic. Thank you again. So, thank this you. is the Real Estate Investing Foundation with Jason and Peely. Thank you so very much for listening. And thank you again, Jeff, for being on our show. Well, Bye thank now. you for having me. So fund that flip. You've heard of them before. We had the founder, Matt Rodak, back in the show of episode 139. And some exciting news happening over at Fund That Flip. They now have funding for your two, three, and four family rentals. So if you're looking for fast, reliable, easy to work with, funding for all of your real estate needs and now for two, three, and four family rentals, where can we find them? You can find them at fundthatflip.com backslash the REI Foundation. Again, that was fundthatflip.com backslash the REI Foundation. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.